Well, good morning, church family. Um, I, I'm happy to be back in the pulpit this morning, bringing you the message that the Lord has given me to share. And if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And while you're turning there, and uh, while the kids are, are looking at the bingo pictures, um, I want to take a moment and, and provide a quick recap of what's been going on in the book of Acts. Um, in the last several weeks, we've seen how, how the, the early church arose very quickly, how it spread, how it promulgated very fast uh, through the behavior of uh, the apostles and the church and through the, uh, mostly through the power of God's Spirit. And we got to see what kind of things the early church did. And we got to see uh, how the apostles had established deacons to care for the members of the church. Uh, it's Acts chapter 6. And, and we saw the first smattering of persecution with the arrest and the beatings of, of Peter and John and some of the other um, leaders. And, and the first martyr, Stephen, who was stoned to death for his faith. Uh, and then Saul of Tarsus began persecuting the church. We know him now as the Apostle Paul. Uh, and until God, of course, got a hold of his heart and he was converted. He had his Damascus, his road to Damascus experience. Um, and then soon after that, God demonstrates through the Apostle Peter that he was also bringing the Gentiles into his kingdom, which was a joyful surprise, uh, but a surprise to the Jewish church. And this is pretty much where we left off last year, okay, with verse 18. Uh, so today we're going to pick up the story in verse 19, which actually, it feels kind of uh, parenthetical to the rest of the chapter, like, like, uh, like there'd be a parenthesis on either side of it. Uh, like like if, if this were a movie, it might say, meanwhile, dot, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I don't get the impression that Luke is, is recording all of these events in strict chronological order because of how the passage is written. Uh, instead, what we have is another lengthy narrative that took place over several months, and it's condensed down into just three verses. Okay, so, so that's kind of an introduction for our, our, our today's text. Before we read it, though, uh, I want to share the reason for this title. You may have noticed the title. It seems a little bit incongruous. The Blessing of Persecution. I think that most of us probably understand what persecution is, but for those who don't, to be persecuted means to be harassed or mistreated, up to and including uh, losing property or freedom or uh, fear of harm or even physical pain and death. And if you're a, a fairly normal, non-masochistic person, then you probably don't think that persecution sounds very appealing, right? Because most of us don't like pain. We don't like losing our stuff. We don't like people taking away our freedom. Okay, the idea of all that you know, being beaten and imprisoned, losing your family, none of that, at least initially, makes me want to, you know, just get in line for it, right? I mean, hopefully nobody else in here just goes, yay, right? And yet, and yet, if you add on to that the idea that all of this, all of the suffering would be done on behalf of of Christ, and because of my faith in Him and my faithfulness to Him, then suddenly it's a whole different ball game. There, not not because I enjoy pain, but because because of the promises of Scripture. Jesus Himself says to rejoice and leap for joy. That's in Luke, when we are mistreated on behalf of Christ. He says, "For great is our reward in heaven." 
Even Peter and John, when they were beaten, remember this, they, they rejoiced, it says, that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. So there's certainly biblical precedent to consider persecution for, for being a Christian, to consider that a personal blessing. Okay? But there, there's another way that persecution is a blessing, and that's what we're really going to look at today. So, so I hope you're going to keep your eyes open for that. Uh, now, we haven't done this in a while, so, so please humor me. Would you all stand together with me, please? And we'll read Acts 11, 19 through 21. It's just three verses. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let's bow. Father God, thank you so, so much for this beautiful passage in your word. I thank you, Father, for uh, what we're going to glean from it today, and I pray, Lord, that you will help our minds to sift it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us through it. Father, I pray for everyone that's here in this building and everyone that's at home watching right now or that'll watch later. I ask that all of us will be affected by the word, that we will not leave unaffected by this glorious encounter with your perfect word. I pray, God, that you will uh, speak through this flawed vessel to these other flawed vessels. And may we grow and may we be stretched and may we be challenged and invited to follow Jesus more closely. It's in his name we pray, amen. All right, please be seated. Uh, we're going we're gonna to break up this paragraph into three chunks, okay? Now, Luke says, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Okay, and that's where we're going we're gonna to kind of hold off at the end of that little part there. Like we discussed earlier, okay, the persecution that he's talking about was the mistreatment of Christians because they were Christians, okay, by the Jewish high priests and the ruling council. And as usual, almost any large-scale religious persecution that takes place in the world, whether back then or today, is either perpetrated by or sanctioned by the government, okay, the ruling class, the elite, those who are in power. And since Luke is going back to what to what started with Stephen's death, we know that Saul was a big part of that. Remember, Scripture says uh, that he was entering homes and dragging people off to prison. So what we're looking at here is a little bit of the detail about the dispersion of the Jewish Christians that Luke wrote about all the way back in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Okay, so uh, I find that, that there's a pretty cool theme here regarding uh, what persecution tends to do. And not only in this passage, but, but really through the, the history of the church as a whole. And we see it in many places in Scripture. Um, at least under the best of circumstances, persecution leads to motion. Persecution leads to motion. You know, if you've been around a while, uh, you may have noticed that, that most groups or organizations are, are very much like individual people. They usually have a tendency to start off kind of lean and mean, but, but too often they get planted in one spot. They become bloated, right? This is what happens in almost any level of government, for example. All right? In order for things to get lean and mean again, sometimes there has to be 
unrest. Something has to happen to cause an upset. In this case, it's persecution. And the frightening things that were happening uh, in their society caused nearly every Jewish Christian, you remember, to flee Jerusalem. We see the same type of situation frequently today. When refugees uh, leave a nation due to war or some other kind of, sometimes it's famine or some violent social upheaval. Uh, and because, because people want to get away from either uh, the potential of or actual persecution, they just pack up and, and go. Or if they don't have time to pack up, they just go, right? So one type of motion that persecution can lead to is a change of location. Okay? And this passage gives the names of some places. We're going to take a look at a map shortly. We don't always get into that because I'm not a big geography guy. Maybe some of you are. But, um, but for now, let, let's focus on the fact that that the Jewish Christians had spread out to a lot of new places, okay? And then once they got there, they continued to do what they'd been doing uh, where they came from. Now, folks, in some cases, this is not really good. In fact, in some cases, it's really not good. I'm going to give you an example, okay? Now, you, you political animals, I'm going to ask you not to pump your fists when I say this, okay? Okay? But if you live in a part of the country, for instance, that is drowning in crime and high taxes and civil unrest and other issues, well, then it makes sense to move to another part of the country, right, where those things aren't happening, right? That makes sense, okay? But if you don't learn the ways and assimilate to the place where you move, what happens? If enough of you move there, you end up bringing your problems with you, don't you? Your attitudes, morals, behavior patterns, uh, politics, whatever. And it's, it's usually detrimental to the place where you end up. But what, what if you live in a friendly, peaceful, affordable part of the country, and, and for whatever reason you end up moving to a place that isn't like that? Well, then what happens? I mean, hopefully you, you don't assimilate because that would be going in the wrong direction, Right? I mean, rather, I would hope you would try to improve the area that you moved to by sharing whatever it was that blessed you and your neighbors in your previous location. And that is exactly what these Christians were doing. Okay, but we'll come back to that. In the meantime, persecution doesn't just cause a relocation, but there's also a change in the level of activity. Most of you know the old saying, I'm going to ask you to, to finish this with me. When the going gets tough... The tough get going. Right? Everybody knows that one, right? Pe people who are under the gun. I'm like, well, not everybody. I'm sure there's a couple four-year-olds in here. But, but people that are under the gun. If God has given them a vision of his plan, and, and if, if they have a common mission, then what happens? They get busy, right? When persecution ramps up, activity ramps up. It's like when you, when you light a fire uh, under a pot of water. You know, the temperature rises. You didn't know you were going to get chemistry today, right? The, the temperature rises. The molecules become excited. Right? They start bouncing around and, and moving against each other, and eventually the water expands and it comes to a roiling boil. You know, and boiling water is good for a lot of things. You know, steam power, sterilization of, of instruments for surgeries and things like that. Spaghetti, right? We're going to see that this coming, this coming Wednesday. Water is capable of a lot of good things when the molecules get excited, when they become active, right? So anyway, um, let's come back to the text. 
those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there are some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, now again, that's a lot of geography, so we're going to take a look at a map. Um, from the description, okay, we see that you know Jerusalem is over here on the, the kind of the bottom right area. Um, excuse me, and, and it, it started basically hemorrhaging believers because of the persecution who went mostly north and west, at least at first. And some of them went as far away as, as Cyrene, which is way over here to the west. It's kind of on the, on the, the northern point of Africa at the top, okay? And, and then, excuse me, um, <clears throat> Antioch, which is on the upper right, uh, was apparently kind of a it was going to eventually become something of a base of operations for the early church. And we're going to see more of Antioch's importance later. But, um, but a lot of Christians ended up landing there. And as it became a, a popular Christian refugee destination, some of the folks that had headed west, again, even as far away as Cyrene, they began to come back that way. But instead of going through the hot spot of Judea, right, where they knew that they might get some, uh, some more persecution, it seems like they took a shortcut. They jumped across the Mediterranean Sea on boats. A lot of them landed there um, at, at Cyprus, and then they ended up going to Antioch. And as we see, uh, as they came, they were speaking the word. So, so what word is that? What word were they speaking? The gospel, the good news. They were speaking the, the good news about Jesus. And, and an important point to note, okay, that we learn from our text is that just as persecution leads to motion, so motion of Christians leads to evangelism. Motion leads to evangelism. It's where our daughter's name, Evangeline, comes from the same Greek word. It's a long verb in English, and it comes from, from the Greek noun for good news. Okay, and, and we'll get to the content of that shortly, but just keep in mind that this, this good news is the same message that had transformed each one of these Christians when they began their new life in Christ. And as such, they understood that it was the message by which others could also be transformed, could also receive the gift of salvation. And so they weren't, they weren't shy about it, right? Reading this passage, do you get the impression that any of these believers were ashamed of the word that had given them life? No. And so as they were dispersed by the threat of persecution, they don't just go off into other nations and settle in and you know, start worshiping idols and practicing debauchery. They don't even just go in and say, hey, let's just be kind of under the radar. You know, let's be Christians on the down low, whatever. They don't do that. No, instead, they brought light into the dark places where they went. They brought light. And church... This is God's intended supernatural effect of persecution. His word spreads. God's word spreads because of persecution. And in this particular case, we see that, that many of the Christians, because they were almost entirely Jewish Christians, they went exclusively to the Jews. And others chose to go to the Hellenists. Now, this is kind of confusing um, because Hellenists were Hellenistic Jews, okay, which means they were still Jewish by ancestry, but they no longer lived as Israelite Jews. 
right? To be, to be Hellenized meant that a person had taken on Greek culture and language and customs. And so Hellenists uh, would most likely not have been considered real Jews by a lot of real Jews. You know what I mean? Like they, they would have been like, you're not us. And so this was an unusual thing for people to go reach out to the Hellenists, okay? Um, you know, it, it's similar to, to when the, the Christians reached out to the Samaritans, which were half-breed Jews, or, uh, or maybe a, a precursor to evangelizing the other Gentiles. But in any case, it's interesting that many of the Jews only spoke the word to other Hebraic Jews, while some of them began reaching outside of their normal circle, you know? going a little out of their comfort zone, expanding their sphere of influence, so to speak. But in either case, it appears that both groups were preaching to the unreached, which is what the word evangelism typically refers to in English. You know, uh, This is partly how persecution ends up being a blessing, right? Yeah. While it's tough for, for the people who are being mistreated, for the people that are being displaced, it's really good for those who are on the receiving end of the message, who've never been exposed to the good news before. They've never heard the gospel message before. And again, the good news is referred to in Scripture as the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Do you think maybe these, these uninitiated people were happy to hear the good news for the first time? I think some of them were. Were you happy the first time you understood the gospel? By the way, I said it that way, understood, because I think a lot of us heard it many times before we understood it. You know, for sure, if they grasped what they were hearing, they would have been happy. Think about it, friends, for their whole lives, for their whole lives, these, these Jewish folks had grown up under the Levitical law. You know, they'd always lived their faith under the old covenant as a shadow of what was to come, not, not grasping the fact that, that the gallons of blood spilled every year in sacrifices could never truly atone for their sins. I mean, they experienced their, their religion as a hierarchy where only one person an entire year was ever able to enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple and be in the presence of God. They had never had their consciences truly truly cleansed, you know? Some of, them were, some of them were proud and believed themselves holy enough for God on their own terms, right? On their own merits. Well, perhaps most of them hadn't yet lost their sensitivity to sin and they were constantly reminded of their inability to live up to God's standard. Frankly, although God himself had given them their law. I mean, the, the Levitical law came from God through Moses. Their human understanding of how they might be saved was as warped and hopeless as that of pretty much every other religion around them because, you know, th they thought they had to, to earn God's favor through perfect obedience, which was impossible. Although there may have been a few, you know, self-deluded people that believed they were somehow able to do it. But, but then comes this glorious message Salvation from the power and penalty of sin doesn't rely on their own ability, but instead God took care of it for them. Do you understand that? 
Your ability to be righteous before God does not depend on your ability. It depends on what Christ did. This was the word that was being spoken by the itinerant Christians who were traveling around. And, and, and how do we know this? I'll tell you how we know, because Luke specifies that they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Is there any other content worthy? You know, that's what one of the commentators I was reading was like, was like, really? I mean, what else are they going to preach? I mean, <laughs> I mean, think about it. What gets preached in the world today? Man, there's a lot of prosperity gospel being taught out there, which is no gospel at all. It is vile filth that is leading people down the path to hell. And one of the most destructive things out there right now is churches that have taken away the true gospel and tried to fill that place with the social gospel or the social justice gospel. Gospel doesn't need any precursor word. You don't have to have some, you don't have to say social, you don't have to say prosperity. There is a gospel. I spent three hours, this is not in my notes, but I want to tell you guys, I spent three hours in conversation with two very nice young men from a cult the other day. Actually, I was out walking with Brent the other day, we ran into him, and I was just kind of brushing him off. I was being rude, honestly, and Brent was nice, and he, he chatted with them briefly, and, uh, and I was like, oh, I feel like a jerk, all right, fine. So I went back and I talked to them, and, and uh, so they said, you know, well, I said, here, here's my phone number if you ever want to talk. I said, but you're not going to change my mind. You're not going to convince me. But if you want to learn more about the Bible, I'd be happy to talk to you. We sat down for three hours. And I basically opened with Galatians 1, 8 and 9, which is where Paul says, if anyone, including an angel from heaven, preaches a different gospel to you than the one that we have already preached, may he be anathema, eternally condemned. Damned to hell. Strong language. And then he repeats it in the next verse. He says, I say again. <laughs> of course, their response is, well, it's the same gospel. It's not. It's not. There is one gospel. One. That is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. One gospel. And we'll get there. Okay, so uh, i got to find my place again. The Greek word, usually translated preach, is the word keruso, which means to proclaim, okay? But here, again, it's, it's a different word. It's the word form, or the verb form, of the word good news. They were good newsing the Lord Jesus. That's what it says here, in a very literal sense. Preaching the gospel of Christ. Does anybody remember the, the very simplified content of the gospel message? I've said it probably two dozen times but that doesn't mean anybody remembers it. Uh, anybody? Okay. I hope this sticks with you guys. The gospel can be easily expressed as who Jesus is and what God did through him. Okay? That's the content of the gospel. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and through, through his perfect life and his death and his resurrection, God himself paid the penalty for our sins, and he gives us the right to be his children. Not by, not by anything we've done, not by anything we could do, but simply by his grace through faith. Do you ever hear that and go, man, that just sounds too good to be true? My dad says, that's how you know it is. 
every other faith, every other religion out there, you're earning something. You're working toward your salvation. God says, I give it to you as a free gift. Take hold of it. Let it transform you. This is the heart of the good news, okay? And as a result of this good news, God commands everyone everywhere to repent, to turn away from their sin and to come to him. This is what was being preached, both, both to the Hebrews and the Hellenized Jews. Uh, you know, hey, friends, listen, our long-awaited Messiah, he's finally come, right? And he did what the Lord promised, and he saves us from our sins. And, and when we put our faith in him, we receive mercy and we're forgiven. That, that's the message. That's what they're doing. That's what they're saying to their fellow Jews. And, and guys, that is, that's good news. No matter what way you slice it, that is good news. So, um... Let's go on. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So our final main point. <laughs> Some of you are probably, wow, really? We're already to the final main point? I'll tell you what. You would think that when you're out of the pulpit for a week, you're going to write a sermon twice as long. Nope, this is a short one today. You're welcome. Uh, so, <laughs> so our final main point in today's message falls right into place as to how persecution can be a blessing, not only, okay, among those who believe, but to the world as well. Because persecution leads to motion, motion leads to evangelism, and evangelism leads to faith. You see, those who believe bring the message to those who can believe if God gives them that ability. The world is comprised of those that need to hear the gospel. And just in case you don't realize this, that includes you and me. If we've already received the gospel, we still need to hear it. We still need to preach it to ourselves. Jerry Bridges says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. We still need to hear this incredible truth that our salvation is by grace through faith and not by works. Paul said uh, essentially the same thing as persecution leads to motion, motion leads to evangelism, and evangelism leads, leads to faith. He said that kind of only backwards, okay, in Romans 10. And, and I'm sure you're probably familiar with that passage, but, but I'm going to just share it anyway. The apostle writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how... Are they to hear without someone preaching? And see, the, the, the irony here is that in Paul's context, he's referring to missionaries spreading the gospel because his next question is, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, here's a thought. If the church is too preoccupied or too lazy to send someone to preach, then God can figure out a way to do it, right? In fact, God usually, uh, I think often, will send missionaries through churches, but sometimes he uses persecution to send missionaries, whether they know it at the time or not. I mean, think about that for a second. This, this is how wise our gracious God is, okay? To, to allow something to come and agitate and cause dispersal 
God is wise enough to get us out of our comfort zone, even if it hurts a little bit, so that he can get more people saved. We may not yet, in America, be experiencing serious persecution for our faith yet, but we can, we can practice preaching the Lord Jesus in the midst of any hard time. And I want to challenge you, friends, and this is for you guys at home, too. You know, for, for, for whenever you're going through a tough time, uh, you know, you feel like you're, you're being put through the meat grinder. I want you to ask the Lord who it is that you're supposed to be ministering to in that place that you are. And I'm serious. You know, you, you can share Jesus with the chemo patient that's hooked up next to you. You know, you, you can tell your IRS auditor about the love of God for them while they dig through your box of receipts. You can show your children how Christ loves his church by not giving up on a difficult marriage. Because if you learn, if we, if we learn to praise God in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, it will become second nature and that brings reward. It brings glory to God as well. When we when we allow ourselves to preach Christ in the midst of difficult times, even though it may not be persecution yet, we learn to be like Paul and Silas who are singing praises to God in the dungeon at midnight. Anyway, um, back to the point. Evangelism leads to faith. It is by believing this message, by believing the good news about who Jesus is and what God did through him, that's how people who are lost find salvation. It is through the gospel that those who walk the broad road to hell can be placed on the narrow path to eternal life with Christ in heaven. So let, let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Paul wasn't. I'm not. I hope you're not. You know, let's not be ashamed. Preach the Lord Jesus and see what he does. Which, by the way, is connected to our, our next sub-point. Everything that happened here as a result of the preaching of the Lord Jesus was due to the hand of the Lord. I hope you see that. I hope you caught that. The hand of the Lord was with them. It says it's important to notice this wasn't the result of anything else, including luck, okay, or, or chance, as though those existed, or the eloquence of the preachers, or even the natural disposition of the listeners. The success of the good news was due to the hand of the Lord. Of the Lord. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 9, being a child of God's promise does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, to me, there, there's a, a tremendous amount of comfort in this truth. You know, because for one thing, if, if, if it is the hand of the Lord that has the power to save, you know, through the message of Christ and his blood and his resurrection, then that takes the pressure off of you and me, right? I mean, think about it for a second here. You know, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I don't mean that we don't have the responsibility to preach the Lord Jesus, okay? I think we just spent a few minutes on the fact that it is our duty and our privilege to share the gospel. But responsibility isn't the same thing as pressure, okay? And I want to expound on this, Okay. Our responsibility, I've heard it said before, is our response to his ability. 
Our responsibility is to share the good news and to live a life of authentic Christian faith. And we, by the way, we can't even do that on our own. Okay, hope you know that. Right? That's, not, that's not something that we're going to succeed at. It has to be the hand of the Lord working. You know, that is the power of Christ in us. But the results of sharing the gospel and living an authentic Christian life are 100% up to God. Not 99%, 100% up to God. How encouraging this is to the unconfident Christian you know, for, for my brother or my sister, if you're in this room or if you're listening online, who, who, who is, who, you want to share the truth about Jesus. You want to share it, but you're afraid that you might do a bad job of it. Or you're afraid that, that, that maybe you're concerned that your flawed character is going to negate the truth of what you want to share. Then, then listen, the pressure is off. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about Jesus Christ. It's not up to you whether a person receives the gospel. It's not your call. It's not your decision. Nor it is, it's not even within your capability to save somebody. You know, hopefully we understand that. I mean, I, I think we all know this, but this is a good reminder, okay? Salvation belongs to God alone. Our job is, is, is not to save anyone, but to, to be faithful. That's our job. Simply be faithful with what we have been entrusted and if, if we are, if we're faithful to share the light of Christ and, and to try, albeit imperfectly, to, to walk in that light as he is in the light, then we can rest in the knowledge that the Lord will take care of the results. You know, sometimes a farmer can, can plant and plant and plant and he can water and the results are still up to God. But the farmer doesn't go, well, since the results are up to God, I'm going to sit here and not plant, not, you know, not harvest. I'm just going to let the food just magically appear in my cabinet. That's not how it works. We are not frozen chosen. Are we chosen? Absolutely. Are we frozen? No. We are called to share the gospel and to live authentic Christian lives. And, and if the hand of the Lord is with us, then our puny efforts to serve him will always contain the one necessary ingredient for salvation, which is God, right? No matter how terrible a job we might do, God is still with us. All right, um, if you would, please focus with me on the last part of verse 21. It, it says, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, um, unfortunately, there's two ways to understand this in English, but I'd like to clarify there's only one way in Greek, okay? Luke is not saying that among those who believed, you know, some of them, this great number, turned to the Lord. It, it's an all-or-nothing situation here, okay? Those who believed turned. And I talked to a very, very solid Greek scholar, again, my dad. <laughs> I talked to him to ask him about how to translate this passage, and, uh, and he, he said, essentially, you know, we were looking at this partial sentence together, and it reads like this. A great number, having believed, that's a participle, converted, which is the aorist tense, meaning turned once for all to the Lord. So I'm going to say that again. A great number, having believed, converted to the Lord. This wasn't a bunch of, of namby-pamby, you know, people who just said a little prayer or who hopped on the bandwagon for a mile. These, these are people who believed on Jesus Christ and were born again by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And as such, their lives were marked by the fruit of repentance. 
their faith, as all biblical faith must look like, was correlated with a change of mind and heart that reflected God's grace at work in them. So they turned away from sexual immorality. They turned away from idolatry. They turned away from selfishness. They turned away from from trusting in their own will and plan, and they turned away from believing in their own moral goodness, and they turned to the Lord. That's what conversion looks like. It's a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When the hand of the Lord is evident, then true transformation happens. Sinners become saved. We become saints. And the saved become sanctified. And then they begin to spread God's word too. You know, in this passage, it seems, it seems almost as though the, these Christians who fled all the way to Cyrene, you remember that was way over on this side, that these, these Christians apparently picked up some converts on their way to Antioch because it says some men from Cyprus. You know, so apparently they were, they were witnessing as they went, grabbed some folks from the island and kept going to Antioch. This is what happens when Christians are committed to preaching the Lord Jesus even in the middle of tough times. And folks, we may not be experiencing persecution here just yet. I've mentioned that before, but let's get ready for it, okay? Let's get in the habit of sharing our faith, whether we feel like it or not. Let's get in the habit of not being ashamed of the gospel, of not being ashamed of Christ. We know what Jesus said, how he will respond if we are ashamed of him. Let's be pleased to let God direct us to the people that he once reached. Even even if our circumstances aren't always to our liking, right? For we, we are God's people embracing the image of Christ for his glory as we work toward that great commission, you know, that, that Christ has given his followers, which is to make more followers. So let's continue to love God and love others and serve the least and reach the lost Of course, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then that really is your first step. Or if you're watching online and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, none of this is going to make sense. Turn to Jesus Christ. Repent. Believe. His Holy Spirit will do tremendous things in you. But it's not just about what he does in you. It's about who he is. He is the all-gracious, all-good, all-wise, all-powerful king of the universe who loved us enough to send his son to die so that we might have life with him. And if you've not received Jesus Christ, then today is your chance. Confess him before this body of believers. Be baptized in obedience to what the word says. Walk faithfully with the church body that wants to walk alongside you. We have this, we have this great blessing of the word of God showing us what we do in response to this incredible message by which we can be saved. Don't squander it.